0: Welcome to another edition of March Madness 365, and we got a great show for you on this podcast. I'm going to be joined by Virginia's Tony Bennett on the eve of the Cavaliers, an undefeated team in the ACC, taking on Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Kyle Keller, Stephen F. Austin's head coach, he replaced Brad Underwood there. Billy Kennedy, the Texas A&M head coach. Joel Berry from the defending national champion, North Carolina Tar Heels. He played in back to back national championship games, uh, losing the one at the buzzer to Villanova and then knocking off Gonzaga last season as the Tar Heels try to get back to a third straight national championship game. And Craig Thompson, the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, back on the selection committee for a second go round. That's all coming up here on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Cincinnati head coach Mick Cronin. And the Bearcats, a top-ten team uh, outside of a little minor blip this season. They've been as consistent as any team in the country and really looking the part as uh, the leader of the pack in the American. But more than that, a team that could climb, who knows, maybe a one or two seed uh, and really make a deep run in March. And and Mick, um, let's go back a little bit. way. What has been the biggest difference since that minor blip uh when you guys lost that Xavier game to really now because you guys it, – it just feels different from that one week to now.
1: Well, I, I think, first of all, Xavier is really good. <laughs> and they were at home. We did not play well in that game. And then we fought Florida right after that in a game they really had to win. They had they had, had some tough games.
0: And it was close. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. In a game, we could have easily won. We 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 did not shoot the ball well. But I love to give the other team credit. You know, I'm not. I, I don't like to sit there and say yeah, we we should have won. We you know like you know sure because yeah, you always think that. But I think you you know the key is and you you got to develop your team and learn as you go. And for us, we needed to get our guards experience. Justin Jennifer and Broom instead of Troy Copain at the point. Jaron Cumberland starting at the two as a sophomore. Uh, Instead of just a bit player off the bench and Jacob Evans in a starring role uh, as our biggest guard. Uh, So those guys needed big game experience. Uh, And then I think going to going to UCLA and winning in a dominating fashion gave the team a lot of confidence. Uh, I think that that was a turning point for our team. Uh, as far as believing in what they're capable of uh, and and not not just believing in our style and the things that we need to do to win games, as coaches preach. But just in the locker room amongst the guys, I sense uh, a a confidence, their confidence level as a team rose uh, with that victory. And I think it served us well early in our conference play on the road. Because, you know, as you watch college basketball, the road is brutal. There's so many ranked teams lose to unranked teams on the road. Uh, but we've early on here, we've been able to weather a storm and show enough poise to get victories.
0: It just also looks like you've got a team this year that doesn't have trouble scoring, that you've got sort of a diversity of scores, maybe more so than you've had in the past. I mean, how would you assess sort of the options you have offensively as compared to a previous years?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that's a popular narrative with our team, but, and, and might've been fair in a couple of years where we were limited offensively, we had Sean Kilpatrick and pray for rain uh, <laughs> on offense one year, but you, you know, last year we were, the numbers would tell you we, we scored more points um, last season and we've had some potent offensive teams, but this year, we're a devastating team on the defensive end so far. We're second in the nation in defensive efficiency, second in the nation in points allowed and that's with a team that we press. So usually when you press every made basket in some shape or form uh and you're a pressure team, you're not going to be second in the nation in fewest points allowed. Uh we give up under 37% from the field, force a lot of turnovers and, and we do it without fouling. We've shot, uh, I believe, we've made more. I know we've made more free throws than our opponents have shot. So defensively, we, we've we've been a pretty suffocating group outside of the Xavier game, and uh, that's what served us. But uh, I do agree with you that we have some answers because on the offensive end, because you have got you have Kyle Washington and Gary Clark that can get you baskets. One-on-one in the low post, you don't have to run plays for them. And they, they can get you baskets. And if they get single covered, uh, they, they score at a high rate.
0: So Wichita ends up losing at home to SMU. They lost at Houston. And, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised that it's tougher than the Valley. I mean, that's just a given. Um, sure. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that they, you know, should have come into the American and ripped off uh, and been unscathed before they ended up facing you, you know, in February. But um, what have you learned in the last couple of years about the depth of this conference that Wichita State certainly enhances? But at the same time, um, you know, it clearly shows how much of a stronger league this is than than, uh, you know, a league like the Valley or other leagues around the country.
1: Well, I think look look there's there's seven seven leagues. You got the Power 5, you got the Big East and the American. Uh and because we gave the name to the Big East, they actually bought it from us. Uh that you know when the Catholic League split and went on their own, uh, and we end up with a new new name, uh developing a new identity. And uh, you know people don't don't have traditional respect for your league. And, that, and that's, you know, I'm not crying. It just is what it is. I would say this. SMU's been really, really good. Cincinnati's been in the tournament every year. Ask Memphis and Connecticut how good the league is. You know, when you have teams like that struggle struggling to be near the top, it, it tells you the depth of the league. But I would say the, the, the team this year, in my opinion, Andy, in my opinion, is Houston. I think Houston's really good. People got off their bandwagon when they lost at Wichita State in the manner that they lost. But I think that can happen to anybody that goes in there on the wrong day, as you know. And they turned it around two weeks later against Wichita State and showed you how good they are. They have a veteran coach, Kelvin Sampson, and they have a multitude of scores. They're not a one-man band. They got guys uh, one through ten that can play. And they had a blip at Tulane with a terrible travel situation. I just, I watch them play and, and I lose sleep over how we're going to be able to play defense against Houston. They, I, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, no doubt. They blew out Arkansas. Uh, I mean, it just completely blew them off, uh, off the map. And I, I just, I, I think they're a really, really good basketball team. Top 30 in the country, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, every league is deep. You know, everybody talks about their own league. I would just say, you know, conference play is rough. And there's seven real high major basketball leagues in in, in our country.
0: Mick, um, you know, Houston's having to do what you guys are doing and Northwestern, they're playing at Texas Southern. Northwestern's playing at Allstate Arena, and I, I've seen it. I, I, you know, Chris Collins may not, it's not the reason they've struggled, but I do think it's a factor. Well, it's not helping um, them. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not helping. And also, it's not easy to get to. It's out by O'Hare, sure. there's a lot of traffic. Um, what kind of effect has it had, on you guys having to play at Northern Kentucky as your new building is, is getting refurbished.
1: Well, I, I'm going to tell you something. I think it's, it's helping us on the road. I think it's helping us. Uh, hopefully it helps us in the NCA tournament. Because we haven't enjoyed playing on campus all year. We haven't been warm and fuzzy with a rav- uh, a, 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 our, our normal student section. Now, our games are well attended over in Northern Kentucky, and we have a lot of loyal fans that show up, but our students aren't the same. We don't have, we have one student section, not two uh, on each baseline. And it, it, obviously they have to take buses to get there and what have you. And traffic's not great. It's de- it's, it's not the same. It's definitely not the same. So, uh, you know, you don't have that to rely on. And, you know, you have to focus on your play and your own, it could create your own energy. And I think, you know, what, what the tough things, things that aren't easy, uh, they, they make you better. So you just got to be able to weather it because you need those victories. And, you know, right now we're we're riding the longest home winning streak in the country. And I think a lot of it is is based off of the toughness of the guys in our locker room. And that that's just what we focus on. So I think, you know, with us, if we can weather the storm and win them all at home this year, it would be great. But the, the fact that we haven't been on campus, definitely is we haven't enjoyed the same advantage as, as usual. And hopefully it'll help us uh, because we don't have the warm and fuzzy crowd and the crazy student section that we usually have. Cause our students are on campus are unbelievably loud.
0: Mick, you've been there a long time now and had yes. great success <laughs> um, at this juncture in the season in, in, you know, sort of late January, how would you compare the way you feel about this group as compared to previous years Uh, in terms of what the potential could be and I know it's single elimination we have no idea what's going to happen but just your feel your gut feeling about this group here in late January
1: well I I I love our potential you know obviously health is the most important thing Um, there's been some devastating injuries just in the American conference alone Uh, Wichita State had them in the summer Uh, then you have SMU just lost Foster for the year and uh, obviously, I told Johnny Dawkins I was scared to shake his hand. I might get hurt uh, with what's happened to Central Florida. So that's the most important thing, Andy. And you try to live day to day. But look, to answer your question, you know, when you have a team that's uh, I think sixth in the BPI, sixth in the Ken Palm, and has a chance to to maybe get a high seed, and you know, you know, you you you, you don't do you, you do this your whole career. And you sit there and look, say, okay, you know, maybe we could have a chance to make a run this year. What do we need to do? Where do we need to get better? Uh, what can I do to, uh, as a coach? Keep my team fresh, develop my bench, uh, all the things that go into uh, getting better later in the year and being able to, to, to sustain what you're doing. And winning late is much different than winning early. And there's just so many factors. Is how long do I practice? How do we stay sharp? All these things go into it. So no, no question, uh, um, you know, I'm put, trying to put all that into, into the computer and you try to keep your guys motivated uh, and try to keep developing your team. But I will tell you, I think the key for us, we have four guys that average double figures, is the next six guys making sure I'm getting that they're improving, making sure their confidence is there and that they know how important they are to our team. Uh, and maintaining uh, our style and understanding why we win, and keeping my guys focused on that because outside noise is the hardest part of our job nowadays with social media and just text messaging, and everybody has all the answers for your players, and, the, and you have to re-recruit your guys into what's important every day that you get come together as a group at practice because other people uh, are tell them everything else about their points per game, their shots, individual things that are bad advice individually. And then you got to continue to re-recruit your team every day. But, you know, it's it's a a long answer, but it all goes into the computer. But no doubt, uh, you know, we have a chance to maybe have a special run this year. We just got to stay focused. But health is the most important thing, I'll tell you that.
0: And before we let you go, Mick, speaking of health, uh, you had one of the scariest things that could happen to anyone – uh outside of getting like a cancer diagnosis or you know a heart attack or something like that i mean you had uh, a potential you know life altering situation with your brain and yeah. the veins up arterial
1: there arterial dissection look yes, that one up <laughs> and and
0: thank god it was not an aneurysm it didn't get to that point you know you had to take time off how, how has your life changed since then
1: i think uh you know you the daily enjoying life um you, you know you you you're whether it, as you know you have kids and we're friends long time so um just enjoying the fact that uh that, that you know while your kids are young my daughter's 11 enjoying all the time I get with her you know never missing an opportunity uh to mess with her you know, it's my job. You know, as you know, that's your dad's the job of the father. You know, every day on the way to school, how you know, how, how can I mess with her? It? Whether it's sing her favorite song while it's on the radio, just irritate her, uh, or and things like that. Uh, just and try to enjoy life, and, and smell the coffee, so to speak, as much as possible. Uh, because what's it all for? You know, we worked so hard. Uh, both of us been career driven guys for a long time but uh, what's it all for? you know what you know what what are the wins for what is this hard work for if you're not going to enjoy it and uh you know and realize that uh good health is not promised, but it's by far the most important thing for everyone and it's 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 not promised it's not guaranteed, and uh you, you got to try to enjoy all the ride of the of the whole thing and like for me my last this is my last year coaching Gary Clark and Kyle Washington just great kids, tremendous kids. Uh, and tried to, and enjoyed my last couple of months here with them as people because they're just great guys to be around. So definitely, just you know, heightened awareness of things of that uh, you know, driven coaches, younger. You don't even think about stuff like that. Uh, and where now it's you know, I watch Gary Clark shooting around at practice, and I think, man, I'm really lucky to have that guy. You know, five years ago, I probably that thought probably doesn't go through my head.
0: Well, Mick, we appreciate it, and uh, you guys are off to a sensational start, and uh, I know only better things are happening here for the UC program. Appreciate, appreciate it. Thank it, you.
1: Good to, say, good to talk to you, Andy.
0: And when we come back, I'll be joined by Virginia's Tony Bennett. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Virginia head coach Tony Bennett and The Cavaliers 8-0 in the ACC, 19-1 overall as they prepare for their game against Duke on Saturday, 1 o'clock Eastern time on CBS. It's the uh, unbalanced scheduling. It's the only meeting during the regular season that they have against Duke, and they don't get Duke back in Charlottesville. Tony, I watched you guys early in the season in November, and you've gotten a lot better. (laughs) I mean, you were good then. You're even better now. Uh, How would you describe this defensive effort that you guys are putting forth where – Clemson only scores thirty six points in your last game.
2: Yeah, we we played real well in the second half defensively, and Clemson was without their best player. So, in all fairness to to Brad Brunel and Clemson, they're they're still trying to figure it out because they were having a heck of a year, and it was kind of the perfect storm. We were on our game defensively, and they were uh, are they just they were having a hard time you know, handling the ball, but that doesn't take away the effort. And I do think we've improved, Andy, since you saw us. I think it was in Brooklyn against um, Vanderbilt and Rhode Island. Um, we've gotten a little more depth from one of our guys. DeAndre Hunter is, has come into the equation and helped us, you know, offensively and defensively. And it just seems like our guys, you know, you just, as the season progresses, you you know, what's going to have to be at a high level to be as good as you can. And, and I think our guys are understanding how good we have to be really both ends of the floor, but defensively in particular.
0: Look, every season has to be judged on its own because it's relative to the rest of the the teams that you're competing against. And so I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, is this team better than when you had Malcolm Brogdon, um, you know, th- and all the other great players that you've had before that. But relative to this season, uh, how has this group t- come together to where they are a viable team that can win the ACC and compete yet again for a Final Four?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think our schedule is, gonna, is getting tougher as we go into the ACC. And so I think we're going to learn more and more about that. But thus far, we've been, you know, obviously very good. But as we, you know, at Duke and we're on the road in five of our last eight, I believe, or whatever it is, um, and we're playing, you know, top half of the league, those things I think will show some things. What's different a little bit about this team, I don't know what our ceiling is. And I think coming into the year, we didn't have a double-digit scorer returning. So the uncertainty was really there and some inexperience with the youth of this team. But like you said at the onset, there's a, a chemistry. I've always had good chemistry with my teams. This chemistry and how they play together offensively and defensively is maybe at the highest level it's been since I've been here.
0: The other thing, too, is I'm curious. You know, you've built such a great program there. How much do the guys that come in expect to win and just not just win, but win at a high level and defend at a high level that it's just when you walk on that court at John Paul Jones and when you wear on that jersey, that there's an expectation that you are going to carry that out? How much do you think that now has become ingrained when you bring new players in and, and the older players start to sort of pass that on?
2: Well, that's really helped us a lot because of some of those players you mentioned before, the Joe Harris Anthony Gills and Malcolm and Just Anderson and go on and on. They established, you know, they they were part of building the program when there wasn't much success, and then they they turned it, and then there was success. And now when those guys come, come in, we have some great veteran leaders that have been a part of that winning, and they know the way. I mean, they're taking the young guys aside and saying, this is what we expect. That won't fly. They're helping them. But, um, you know, you're real clear when you come in. We're going we're gonna to work hard. We're going to try to be as good as we can. And, and what you've fought hard to get, you'd never want to go backwards or give back to the best of your abilities. And the leadership amongst the veteran players has been terrific. So I think that, you know, the, the success that we've had has certainly helped. And, you know, our crowd's cheering for shot clock violations as hard as they are sometimes for, you know, a slam dunk or a beautiful three. So I mean, they like all of those too and they're getting some of that. But um, I think there's a, you know, an expectation or an appreciation for for how it's going to be.
0: How often have you coached a team at this level, this successful, that only has two players averaging double figures?
2: Yeah, not often. I mean, we're that's you know, we've just been finding ways to do it and that'll still be tested but we've had at different times guys have gone for mid-20s and all that but um you know usually you'll have a few more or you know higher ones but that's that's why this is a different kind of team uh and it has been different guys at different times you know deandre hunter has given us that now and he wasn't early and then our three perimeter guys have isaiah wilkins is having a heck of a year and you know the list just kind of goes on
0: you know, your loss back at West Virginia in December, I mean, that, that must seem like, you know, a million years ago. But that was against, you know, Press Virginia. Um, if there was anything that came out of that, you know, I, I, how how much was it that, you know, how are we going to handle the kind of pressure on the perimeter? I mean, what lessons were learned from that game that maybe now um, have been solved to some degree, even though you're facing different kinds of teams since then?
2: Yeah, I you know, I don't know if they've been solved, but I think they've been improved on, you realize the value of the possession. It was, you know, a, our ball two point game, I think with uh, a minute or a minute and a half. And, you know, a couple, just a couple, you can point to say when we forgot to block out and they got a tip in, or we just had a unforced error, you know, a few times in the game. Like when you're playing high level teams on the road, you got to be airtight. And I think that really drove that home. Every possession is significant. And yeah, you know you're playing against that kind of pressure, uh, full court pressure press, and they just they make you do things in a hostile environment. I think the fact that we could play with them at that time of the year was the encouraging part. And then the part that we grew from was okay, we understand how good we have to be all the time. And I, I think that's valuable. You know, we like played Villanova at the start of the year. That was really good to go against a team of that caliber and see okay, this is this is the highest, you know, one of the best teams and Just those experiences are invaluable for, I guess I'd say, a less
0: experienced team um, or an unproven team. So how prepared is this Virginia team for the size of Duke? Yeah, that'll, you know, I don't know if you
2: can prepare for that. This will be, again, another unique challenge. We've played against, you know, players that, teams that have a guy or two that, you know, is big and all that, but not with the versatility of Duke's talent and their size. I mean, it's just, it's going to be, you know, they've got obviously the best players you can can find, and and they're they're starting to really come around. But um, we just have to be the best team possible and do what we do and prepare the right way, because that's a it is a unique challenge. And then you know, throw into it, they have a I would call it a pretty good home court atmosphere and environment, to say the least. So all those things are good. It'll be a good day for college basketball. I hope it will be for us. Just these are you know opportunities and exciting game of course it's one game and it's only in january but you know both teams have positioned themselves to to be in a good spot and you know you want to play at a high level in these settings
0: so if you had to boil down the pack line defense to (laughs) let's say you know three key points and you had to sort of teach this just in a you know someone said okay give me 30 seconds on the pack line defense what is it what would you say
2: oh I can't. It's too. There's, it, it's just, a, it's really the habits you build over time. It's a fairly simplistic defense, but it, the, the idea is you're playing the percentages, you know, force your opponent to take contested shots. And it's, it's a, it's a, we versus the ball mentality. So, you know, you're good on the ball and the other guys are in help. It's really a help oriented position that plays the percentages, you know, trying to make, protect the lane and make people shoot contested shots. And, um just really fight to be build build a
1: wall wherever the ball is that's what we talk about
0: and and tony if you look back and say okay where did i find this deep appreciation for defense where was it
2: well you i my training ground which was absolutely invaluable of course was from my father i when we played to green bay at green bay when i went to play for him there we had a it was a kind of the program wasn't real strong. So it was a rebuild. Then I watched my father take Wisconsin and it was, they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament, but one time in 50 years and they were at the bottom of big 10. Then he, what he did there, then he went to Washington state and it was the bottom. I watched him with more of the have nots or major rebuilding situations have to figure out a, a way to play that gave you a chance just to even be in a game. And as hard as it was, And the struggles and the losses that occurred, it was absolutely invaluable for me to see, you know, this is what you learn first, what you can do to have a chance. And then as you get better players, as you improve, if you keep that constant, that will always give you a chance. And I I just, I can't tell you how much I learned that appreciation because I'd sit there and scratch my head. How is he with this team in these games or doing these things? I, I couldn't ever fathom it. And I just watched it over and over again. And that's where my appreciation for, how to play the right kind of defense, and even soundness offensively
0: started and grew. And what's it going to take to get your dad courtside, behind the bench, <laughs> at some point to watch your team firsthand?
2: Don't think he'll ever do it. We'll have to put him in a straight jacket, I think, and put him there. He he's not going. He, he won't do it. He, he knows his – you know, we always talk about knowing who you are and, and your limitations. He knows. He just – he doesn't want to do that. He did it at Washington State a little bit. Actually went when we won the ACC conference tournament a few years ago at that, that game, but uh, I think he just, the older he gets, he said some things are best left, you know, <laughs> the way they are, so I think he's going to stay, stay pat.
0: Well, Tony, we appreciate it. As always, uh, 19-1, 8-0 as you get ready to face Duke on Saturday. Thanks, Tony. You're welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. And when we come back, I'll be joined by Texas A&M's Billy Kennedy. now joining us here on March Madness 365 Texas A&M head coach Billy Kennedy and the Aggies uh, certainly have had an interesting season to say the least um Billy let's first talk big picture this is a team that I think had high expectations it still can be met but if you were to put your finger on what has gone sideways uh to where you're not at least in the standings where you want to be what is it
3: I think the injuries and the The inconsistent guard play, I would say, has been the two biggest keys. Um, Guys having to play different roles at different times of the year and um, just not getting good guard play and league play at this point. And part of it is we've had Gilda miss games and Dwayne Wilson miss games. Even Hogue missed two league
0: games. So that's been a big part of it. You know, some of that was injuries, some were suspensions. You know, how how much did you – have to sort of come to terms that, that it may take a while for this team to be complete to where, you know, it, it may not even, you know, I don't know if it will happen, but it, that it may not even happen till later this month.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, I knew it was going to, the early success was somewhat a surprise to me um, that we did so well early because we won with a new point guard and Dwayne Wilson and we won not having uh J.J. Caldwell in the beginning, and, and, and then we picked him up, and then we didn't know we were Edmond Gilda towards Manessius and missed a few weeks. So I was really, I think the the big start and the early start and rankings up to number five in the country was probably a little premature where we actually were as a team and with the adversity we had coming after that.
0: I mean, because overall in the non-conference, uh, I mean, you had a great non-conference. You you went 11-1. The only loss was to Arizona and Phoenix. Um, right. You know, your last actually non-conference game is against a Buffalo team that, you know, could end up winning the MAC. So, I mean, there were some good yeah. games that were mixed in there. Uh, and then the suspensions hit and he's and got to start at Alabama. Uh, how much of a... Sort of shock to the system was that that you had all this momentum that was immediately sort of halted.
3: Well, the, obviously it was a, it was a big shock that not having Hogue after he was playing so well against uh, Florida and Alabama, Alabama was, was big, but more importantly not having Gilda when he tore his meniscus against Savannah State and not having him for a number of games, and then losing Dwayne Wilson. I mean, it it just – and then you got freshmen starting one game and then not playing much the next when the guys come back. and As coaches, sometimes we assume once we get them back, everything's going to be okay. Well, your team's changed at that time too, and so now we're in the process of trying to identify everybody's role all over again.
0: Where are you in that process?
3: Well, we've got to be better than we were last night against LSU because we're going to Kansas on Saturday, so – We're we're still figuring it out because I I do know that Dwayne Wilson and Admond Gildon aren't 100% because they're not able to practice every day. And and when you can't practice, you can't get better as a team. And uh, so we're going to have to lean more on the young guys who have have given us some good minutes, but putting them in situations that they haven't necessarily been prepared for in the preseason when they were just guys coming off the bench, spelling guys for five to ten minutes a game.
0: You know, you guys take on Kansas on Saturday in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And I think when this game was scheduled, it looked like it could be two top five teams. And you could argue that at the beginning of the season. What does this game mean, though, to you, you know, overall, Texas A&M, it's a former conference rival. You know, when you th- just take a step back about A&M playing Kansas.
3: Well, anytime you're playing Kansas on a national spotlight like we are, it's good for your program Nah. It's really good when you win, but uh, Kansas has got so much tradition and so so much success. The fact that we're in this game is is really – we're thankful and excited about having the opportunity. Um, So we're looking at it as as a positive. We played well against the highest-level teams, whether it was West Virginia or Arizona, we played well. Now Kentucky. at Kentucky, we played well. We had a chance to win. Now we're going to be able to do it against a good Kansas team. If this team can click, what's the ceiling? That's a good question. I just want to get better right now. But uh, we, we've, if we get the guard play, playing like we were playing earlier in the year, I, I definitely think we're a tournament team that can win a couple of games and possibly if you get hot, have a chance to go to the Final Four. But we've got a lot of work ahead of us. We've got a lot of healing to do and, and a lot of –
0: ways to get better to, to be able to do that for sure I, I mean when i look at the schedule i mean you guys do have opportunities i mean this game against kansas you got two against arkansas you know you're still going to play auburn you're going to play alabama again you got kentucky so you know these are all teams that right. are going to probably be in the ncaa tournament so you you can sort of play your way in you can play your way out i mean how do you assess sort of this yeah, final grind we,
3: we've we got a lot of games left but we gotta we gotta get more consistent in our play we played well against missouri the other day and they were playing well and beat them and and uh so we gotta play more like that and you gotta win our home games and go out and beat a couple of people on the road so we just gotta get healthy all the way around when we're playing better and i think we do that it'll take care of itself
0: how far away does that West Virginia game feel right now, the one on November 10th when you, you won 88-65 in Germany?
3: A long, long, a long ways. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could tell you it was felt more recent, but a long ways away.
0: What are the chances that that team could come back in February or March?
3: Well, I, hopefully I, that team will be better, you know, because we didn't have Robert Williams in that game, and Robert's playing really well. He had 21 last night and 14, and so... In some areas, we've gotten better. Tyler Davison has been really good for us. Uh, our bigs have been really good, but our guards have got to step up and play better.
0: Well, Billy, we appreciate it as always, and uh, and your candor especially more than anything. But uh, good luck against Kansas on Saturday. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Andy. And when we return, I'll be joined by North Carolina's Joel Berry. Now joining us here on March Madness 365, North Carolina's Joel Berry. And the Tar Heels are once again a contender to get deep into the NCAA tournament and of course compete for an ACC regular season title. And Joel, you know, I was just thinking as I was uh, preparing to talk to you that your career at UNC, if things go the way it should, which is have another successful latter part of the season and into the NCAA tournament, you know, could go down as one of the one of the most successful we've seen in years at a historic, iconic program. Have you had a chance to sort of just pause and think about, you know, what your career has been like in terms of the overall success of this program?
4: Um, you know, honestly, that was one of the reasons why that, you know, that I came back and, you know, a lot of people win national championships and, you know, they go on and start another life on the professional level. Um, and never really get a chance to sit back and think about, you know, what you what you've done and accomplished the past year and, you know, the years before. And so um, there's there's been times where, you know, I just took a step back and um, you know, just thought about, you know, the, the, the times where it was hard for me to even five minutes on the court and now you know, winning the national championship um, you know, it's something that is is special and I think about it all the time, but you know, it's hard to think about it during the season when you have games after games and you're just always busy. But it's one of the reasons why I did want to come back was to make sure that, you know, I enjoy the process and get a chance to really understand, you know, what I just accomplished and what I've went through. And a lot of times we don't get a chance to do that. So that's something that I wanted to uh, be able to enjoy. enjoy.
0: Yeah, it's really remarkable what transpired last year. I mean, you guys are obviously right there to win a national championship the year before, buzzer beater by Chris Jenkins, uh, your shot before, you know, uh, or excuse me, Marcus Page's shot before that to look like you guys are going to win, and then you lose uh, to Chris Jenkins, and and then, you know, the core of the team comes back, and you actually win the national championship in a late game against (laughs) Gonzaga. I mean, that almost never happens. And now you've got another team that, uh, you know, has the pieces potentially – to get there again. Um, what do you think has been the recipe for this core group's success uh, at North Carolina? Um, are you talking about this year or? Well, just, I mean, your core group, I mean, you're, you're part of uh, you know, you Luke may, I mean, obviously you guys have some newcomers, but there's been a core group that has, you know, been around at least for a couple of years that's been able to, you know, uh, get in position to where you could play right, in back-to-back right. national championship games and then now have another team that, uh, you know, if things break right, certainly could go on another run.
4: Yes, sir. Uh, I just, I think it's always good to have a good core guys that um, understand what it takes to be able to get to that point because you can have guys that, um you know, win it and, you know, they're in their senior years and they move on and you really have to start the program over again and. Guys don't really understand what it takes to get to that point, so with having me Luke um Kenny Theo coming back you know guys who were even a part of the the championship that we um, game that we lost um you know it's it's good to have guys like that on your team because you understand what it what the coaches want and what it takes from the team throughout the season to be able to get back. Um, to that point and you know throughout the season you have your ups and your downs and um, you know when you lose it doesn't have that much of of an effect because we understand that when we lose we know how to bounce back and know how to get to our dreams and goals and where we need to be and what needs to change and I think that's one of the biggest keys is learning how to bounce back from um, a loss and knowing that the season doesn't end now, and it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and that, that loss will help us get to where we want to be.
0: You have become a great closer. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, if you need a bucket, you can get to the hole and deliver. If you got to get to the free throw line, um, there's been a number of different times this season, it seems like, if you guys are in a tight game, you know, you're the one that you want the basketball uh, in their hands if you're a fan of the Tar Heels or on the staff or a, a fellow teammate. What is it about late-game situations that you've been able to feel so comfortable in?
4: Um, I just think it's my development through my years here at Carolina. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about that because uh, when I was freshman, sophomore, you know, Marcus Page was the one that was everybody felt comfortable with uh, with the ball in his hands and him taking the, the the shots at the end and closing the games out. And, um, you know, I just waited my time, and now I'm kind of in that same position. And, you know, Marcus is somebody that uh, I always um, think um, when it comes down to my development through this uh, program because he was, he was a leader and he was a point guard, and I'm in the same position. And so um, it's just about... You know, having that confidence throughout the years and knowing that, or and the coaches having confidence in you as well and your teammates. And so um, it's a mixture of just having good leadership from an older guy that was in the same position and just my development and my grit and, you know, my toughness to be able to, you know, in those moments, either, um, you know, close out a game or make a big-time shot. And it's also just being able to live with, you know, if I don't hit those shots. You know, being able to you know get the criticism from people from the outside, and I'm, not a lot of people can um, want to be in that position, but I don't mind it because that's just the kind of person I am, and I would do whatever it takes to help this team win.
0: In two weeks, you've got the first of two annual uh, games against Duke. What's that rivalry meant to you?
4: <laughs> uh, that rivalry is great. Um, it's it's something that you can't put into words and that you have to feel it, but. It's, it's a great rivalry, and I'm um, so blessed to be a part of it. And, you know, one of my former um, high school teammates on the AAU level, Grayson, is on that team, and, you know, and that makes it a little bit more special. But just, to, um, you know, the, the, the rivalry is great, and, you know, not only from us, but also how the fans go at it. Um, it's just an awesome feeling leading up to that game.
0: And one last thing, Joel, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention – Virginia. I mean, uh, during your time at North Carolina, they've been right there with you guys uh, and Duke, of course. Um, You know, they obviously beat you guys in Charlottesville, able to really sort of stifle you guys uh, defensively. What is it about going against Virginia in the last couple of years that at times makes it so difficult to score?
4: Right. Uh, I just think it's they're coached by a great coach. You know, they buy into his system and understand what he really wants and they really gel together, and just on defense, you know, they don't necessarily try to put pressure on you. But if you get to a point where you're starting to, you know, trying to make a scoring play or a scoring cut, all five guys are moving towards the ball. All five guys, five guys are helping each other, and they're playing the they're playing a the twenty one defense, which kind of um you know it's hard to drive the ball, and so they just do a great job of doing what they're supposed to do every moment of the game. And, um, you know, it's when you make a mistake, you know, in a game like us or a, a team like us, where we get so many possessions, you know, there can be turnovers because we're going to get a lot of possessions. But with them, when you have a lot of turnovers, there's not a lot of possession and they really take advantage of, you know, the turnovers that you have because they go down and they almost use the whole shot clock. So, That's what makes them so great, and they just perfect what they're good at.
0: Well, Joel, we appreciate you joining us here on March Madness 365. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Coming up on the podcast, Stephen F. Austin's Kyle Keller. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Stephen F. Austin head coach Kyle Keller and the Lumberjacks have certainly gotten off to a very good start not just uh, in the conference, but also overall. And um, you had some big shoes to fill, filling in for your good friend Brad Underwood, who was there a couple years ago. Uh, He has since been at Oklahoma State, now at Illinois. Um, Kyle, what's been the toughest part of continuing that legacy at Stephen F uh, that really showed that you could see just this program, once they can get into the tournament, can clearly – uh, you know, make something happen?
5: You know, Andy, that's a great question is, is, and what Brad did here in three years will never be I, you can't ever do what he did. He, he did some, you know, fastest to 100, I think pretty much he and Coach Fewer, I right neck and neck, but it was incredible what he and his staff did and the players and, and you know, Stephen at Austin most people outside of our little Piney Woods sleepy town don't know this, but it's the state's winningest program, not only in the last five years, but in the last 10. So Danny Casper deserves a little bit of credit of that too. And, you know, it's just a, a – I, I really, you know, pl- working for Eddie Sutton and working for Bill Self, I've taken a little bit of, of not only their defensive philosophy, but stolen from Brad, you know, talking, spending time with him and talking to him and watching his teams play. And I think that just be different. On the defensive end, I think that allowed him to have success, not only within this league, but to win NCAA tournament games.
0: What it do for this team, uh, and I'm looking back at your schedule, you know, you're obviously going to get some decent non-conference games, but, you know, you win at LSU. They've got a high-profile freshman in Trabant Waters. You win that game 83-82. You know, how much did that sort of continue this tradition of SFA knocking off those Power Five-type schools?
5: Yeah, and I appreciate, you know, Will Wade playing us that game uh, because we have a hard time scheduling opponents here. But, you know, that, that that gave our team a lot of confidence. It's really our first breakthrough win since I've been here beat somebody that was that was really at that level. So yeah, it gave our kids some belief in me that, hey, we can do something special again here. And it wasn't just the previous staff or something like that. So it was huge for, for us. And... And we almost did it again the next game against Missouri. But we, really where it started for us was at Mississippi State um, because we led at halftime, but we didn't have total belief and we didn't have surrender and trust in everything that was going on because that was a game we could have won as well.
0: How hard is it to maintain a program? Because you've been at the high level, at the level you're at right now.
5: Yeah, you know, Andy, it, I, I tell everybody that asks me, you know, around town or whatever, but you know, I have zero ambitions to ever try to do what Brad has done or what. I mean, they won 24 conference championships in about 90 years of playing basketball at Stephen F. Austin. So winning here is not necessarily new. But I have no ambitions to be the all-time winningest coach or all these kind of things here. But the one thing that I want to do here at Stephen F. Austin is coach the best ever played here and to me what that entails may not win the most regular season games or whatever but win the most games in the NCAA tournament and you know I like our team now and then that's that's where we're trying to you know keep improving every day collect maybe more talent recruit the state better because there's so many good players in our own state and just interject some of that Thoughts and into that because I've been fortunate after coaching so many great games and deep in the NCAA tournament and hopefully give some wisdom as we move along there.
0: You know, Kyle, it's coming up on the anniversary the the one that I know just absolutely just rips your heart out. Two thousand one, the plane crash at Oklahoma State that claimed ten lives that uh, continue to be remembered forever, not just in Stillwater but uh, all throughout college basketball and you know the Midwest, the Southwest this is not, you know, an anniversary to, to celebrate. It's one to mourn. Um, w- when you come upon January 27th each year since 2001, how do you handle the emotions that I'm sure continue to swirl every time this day comes through?
5: You know, I, I had a great conversation with, with the former assistant coach here, Stephen F. Austin, who's now leading my alma mater at Oklahoma State, Mike Boynton. You know, the previous week leading up to their game, the, the Remember the 10 game, in Stillwater, where they played fantastic, and they were fortunate enough to beat Oklahoma. And you know, which, in the conversation that, that I had with him, I said, "I don't know anything, but I know those ten families." And for, unfortunately for me, one of those ten families is mine. And those ten families want—they well, want one thing, and they just want to know that Oklahoma State basketball—that they're their husband, son, brother, uncle, you know, whomever, they died for a purpose that was bigger than them. And they want to be included in that basketball family. And I told Mike, I texted him after he won the game. I said, you had 10 angels willing you through the end of that game into overtime. And he said, absolutely. They helped us. And I wear a lapel pin on my jacket every, every time I go out in a game whatever function, we like Coach Sutton has, and he does, you know, with a ten, 10 with an orange ribbon through it. And I believe that those 10 guys, that help me all the time. We've got a home game this Saturday. And it should be standing room only. We play on one of our arch rivals, same Houston State. There'll be 7,500, 8,000 people in Arlena. And I've got family members, not in my family, but part of those 10 families that died that are coming to this game Saturday. There'll be a little bit of orange in my purple tie on Saturday, and they'll help us through it too.
0: Kyle, I mean, it's been well documented. I mean, you you were supposed to be on one of those planes, and uh, you switched off. You were asked to switch off. How do you reconcile that over the last, you know, 17 years?
5: You know, Andy. It, it, you know, we don't have enough time to go through it, but I've never asked why. You know, you you do what you do to help our profession. You know, basketball, college basketball. You're the best at it. You know, you you've seen many walks of coaches, people coming into that profession for many years and whatnot. Some stay a long time. Some some stay short. You know, for me, you know that day, fateful day, January 27, 2001. I knew I, I knew at that time what my purpose was in doing what I'm doing. Why do I coach? You know, we've all seen, if you're a sports fan, you've seen the movie, We Are Marshall, the one assistant coach that got taken off the plane to go recruiting, and he lasted one year. That could have been me. You know, I could have got out of this profession, but I, I feel like my faith, my belief in God, you know, my family's kept me doing this, and so I just used – Know that I've used that platform to help these young men that I've been involved with through the years, and God has me here for a purpose. And if I do something else, I'm not following my purpose. And truthfully, I mean, it took me, I had a, a pastor pray for me a couple of years ago to, to release survivor guilt. And I didn't even know I had it because I never asked why. And this summer, honestly, I finally gave it all up. And now that's another platform I've been trying to deal with some people on our campus here in Nacidosis that have survivor guilt. And so I'm really the most blessed man you've ever talked to. I feel so fortunate and so blessed. I'm the luckiest dude you know.
0: How would you not realize that you had that? Because it, it, it would be natural to feel it. I,
5: I guess I never asked why. I just thought, you know, this is god has got a plan for us, and we just move on, we move on. And I got called down to church. We attended a big church in College Station. When I worked for Coach Kennedy, and our pastor called me down, and my wife and I started praying. He said, "I want to release these." The pastor did it. I couldn't. I'm I'm a big cry. I'm a big emotional guy. I start crying on the phone with you here today. And and he just he said, "I want to release these feelings you have inside of us." We didn't have a game that day. I didn't know why he's calling us down. And I'm thinking, "Why is he calling me down here? I don't." We're not playing. It's out of season. It was in the summer. I'm thinking, why is he calling me down here? And uh, I was saying, you know, we're not playing Texas or LSU or something. There's no rivalry game. You know, I, I, I'd be all for that. But, you know, and he said, I want to pray. Will you release these guilt feelings you have? And I, I didn't even know I had them. And But once he did, I started really searching my soul, and I did have them. And because when I lived in Stillwater, my and uncle were close to me. I could go see him and it was great. We had a great relationship with them, my cousins, and all of them because I lived in Edmond just down the road. But then when I started moving around, moving to Lawrence, moving to College Station, here and that, I'd see him and talk to him some. But I always wondered when I walk away, what do they really think about me? What does my uncle really think about me? Because they lost their only son, their only namesake. We called him Goody. He never made a B. I mean, he was perfect. and he would have played for me anywhere. He's the only person in his family that went to Oklahoma State. Everybody in his family went to Oklahoma. He, he would have gone anywhere, and you know that rivalry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, what do they really feel like? Because that night that we had that plane crash, we took care of all the players and called the families, and I talked to their family, tell them. And I got to drive an hour to go see them. Imagine walking in their house and seeing grandparents and, and other aunts and uncles and everybody else in my parents. and I walk in my uncle's bedroom he's laid up in a fetal position sobbing and controlling trying to hope and, you know thinking the worst is going to come and he tells you he loves you i mean what a special dude he is i mean and all you want to do is just you know you just want your cousin back because i was supposed to be on that plane But if I don't take that and and, and help the people I'm around, not only my team, but other people, then I've devalued that plane crash. I've devalued those 10 men. I haven't done what I'm supposed to do.
0: Well, Kyle, you uh, certainly have been a blessing to all, and we appreciate you taking some time. And I know this is going to be a very difficult anniversary for you. But uh, just thrilled that things are working out for you personally at Stephen F. And uh, I, I know only the best will occur for you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate what you do and your toughness. Well, thank you, Kyle. All right, thank you. And when we come back, Mountain West Conference Commissioner Craig Thompson, also a member of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Craig Thompson. He is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, longtime commissioner, and now his second tour on the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. Uh, before we get to that, I, I, I want you to put your commissioner's hat on for a second here, if you could, uh, Craig, because a very bizarre occurrence happened over the weekend where, because of the government shutdown, Air Force couldn't play Fresno State, and yet Army and Navy could play, yet Air Force couldn't. And I think some people don't comprehend why that is. I mean, if you could just, from a commissioner's standpoint, what transpired and then, you know, What has to happen to actually make up a game like that in the middle of the conference season?
6: Sure. Well, you know, I might be one of those that don't fully understand it, Andy. But from my understanding, the Navy has had a a private athletic association for well over a century, since the 1890s. Army has had something similar in play for about a half a century or longer. Air Force has a similar process with private funding, but it's only three or four years old And so it was the funding mechanism and what's provided by the government and what's not allowed by the government, public employees that that caught Air Force up. Uh, So they have a plan if there is another shutdown uh, February 8th or later that hopefully they will continue to play through that uh, shutdown if there is another one. And as far as remaking, we were actually announcing this afternoon a, uh, a, a date for both the men's and women's game, women at Fresno State, of uh, State men at Air Force that will uh, we'll be able to reschedule those games. We're very fortunate and it's going to put no burden on uh, both teams because there are four teams because some of them are going to play three games in, uh, in a week.
0: Yeah, sort of the collateral damage of something like that pe- people don't clearly think of when something like this occurs. Alright, so let's put our committee hat on. When you agreed and Paul Krebs, the New Mexico AD, when he was no longer the athletic director, he couldn't serve on the committee, you stepped in. Why'd you want to get back on?
6: Well, for several reasons. Uh, for the good of college basketball, hopefully, uh, I feel like a dinosaur bringing back uh, processes that were done in the uh, late '90s and 2000. But uh, you know, it's still the same end game. You're picking the best uh, uh, 36 at-large teams, but boy, the process is 180 degrees different, almost. But, uh, you know, to, to bring some things back into the game and, and, you know, from a personal standpoint, to help the Mountain West Conference, we better understand scheduling and non-conference scheduling and the nuances to position our teams as at large. But, you know, it's very similar to the CFP. The basketball committee hangs their hat on the door and we don't represent, per se, uh,
0: the Mountain West. We represent 350-plus Division One basketball programs. How has the process changed since you were the chair? Well, it's funny. The very first meeting I
6: attended, I brought a picture of ESPN Magazine's inaugural issue, uh, July 1999. And the funniest thing about it, there was one electronic device on the table, Andy, and it was Pager. Does anybody even remember Pager? (laughs) No, no. Uh, No laptops, no cell phones, no iPads. You know, now each committee member has as many as four screens in front of them and, and all the comparative data. I remember, and and when I tell these stories to uh, the current staff and committee members, they laugh and they think I'm making them up, but Velcro boards, and we would have colored sheets of paper. They would start out each morning saying, get rid of the blue sheet and replace it with the goldenrod sheet. Everything was printed. We must have killed a couple of rainforests. But, you know, again, the
0: process was completely different. Same outcome, picking the best uh, at, at large teams. When you look at the landscape this season, You know, we've had a couple of elite teams. Uh, Everyone's lost. There's no undefeated team. How would you assess sort of the depth of teams that could be on those top four lines?
6: Really challenging.
0: You know, I I think that there's going to be probably
6: three to five, six teams that will be vying for those top four spots. Again, we're talking here in, in late January. A lot can transpire. But then, uh, as you mentioned, seed lines two, three, and four are really going to be hard to differentiate. You know, I, I watch all these results, watching a ton of games, reading as much as I can, and and following all these leagues. You know, it seems like it's one step forward, half step back for a lot of people, just because of the depth and quality
0: in in four or five leagues. So the new quadrants—that's the new vernacular. You didn't have that back when you were the chair. Uh, it has sort of stretched out the quality wins to include, you know, road and neutral. And so hypothetically, if you were to beat, you know, a team that's ranked 60th on the road, that's going to have as much value as beating a team one through 30 at home. Before you got on the committee, and this was talked about, what did you think about the potential to increase the weight and the value of road and neutral games?
6: Well, that was always a huge point. I think it's been a factor. This is what the 80th year of of the college basketball championship, college basketball championship division one. And you look at that and and road wins are always so very important, but I I like this uh, matrix because it does balance that out and it goes deeper. You know, it's, it's not easier. Well, it is, it's easier to win at home than it is on the road period. And so if you go into that 60 and, and neutral court and deeper and, 75 and 90s as compared to being somebody in your home gymnasium where what 88 percent of home games are won by the home team you know i, I think that is a, it's a great balancer and it, it really gives you a, a probably a, a, a more pronounced uh picture the other thing that's completely different is literally uh 18 19 years ago there was the rpi now there's the ken palm and the uh KPI and the BPI and, and five or six different ranking formulas uh, that, that balance different things and look at it differently, but it just gives you a
0: better perspective. How stressful is being the chair?
6: It's challenging because, you know, it's it's similar to uh, being a spokesman. You know, you don't make all the individual decisions, but somebody's got to stand behind the camera and, and justify or explain what happened in a particular circumstance. And And it's challenging. I think it's good because it's funneled towards one person, Uh, Bruce Rasmussen. It's been phenomenal. Two short meetings I've worked with Bruce. And I I think that the challenge there is just trying to be everything
0: for all 10 committee members and represent, well, you know, what what transpired over those four days in that room. I mean, I I don't know. It seems like it could be more stressful now because, uh, you know, I have this memory of you on the double box and you know, uh, kind of getting uh, obviously cornered, if you will, on some of the selections when you were on air um, because you were just the face of it. And and now you throw in Twitter and, you know, more Facebook and all this other stuff that's going to hit the chair if a school is upset that they're not in. And I, I just got to believe like that being the front facing of the ch- of the committee now, especially if there's any kind of controversy, might be a little bit more stressful. I mean, <laughs> How relieved are you that you didn't have to deal with all that uh, years ago?
6: Well, many times more magnified. That's a great point. Uh, you know, you mentioned all the social media, but we didn't even talk about bracketologists. We didn't have that. That's right. Uh, you know, there was maybe one grouping out there, or one, one or two people kind of say, oh, I think Team X is going to be in or something. Uh, we, we used to have fun with it because back then the, the talking heads and the people who would watch as we were watching games in the committee room would say, I guarantee you X is in, tech is in, state is in, U is in. And, and you go, hey, stop and count. you got 97 teams in that tournament. So, but, but now magnify that by about 100 and that's where you are today. So I think it's a much more demanding position now because everybody tracks this on a daily basis. You can go to the NCAA website and, and look at all sorts of statistical data and rankings on, on an, not an hourly basis, but a daily basis.
0: Well, Craig, we really appreciate it, and I know uh, I'll get a chance to visit with you even more as we get closer to, to Selection Sunday. And it's great to have you back on the committee, um, and uh, you know, certainly your experienced voice on all these things matters certainly will help appreciate it craig thank you thank you and that'll wrap up this edition of march madness 365 as always you can go to ncw.com to find our podcast and on itunes of course and wherever you download your podcast make sure you check us out give us a little bit of a comment if you can and listen every week it's march madness 365 we've got you covered in college basketball thanks for listening